Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 28 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming David Lappin, the professional poker player affectionately known as everyone's favorite Irish variant. This fine gentleman really is the pot of gold at the end of the proverbial rainbow. David is a longtime ambassador for Unibet Poker and the host of the award-winning Chip Race and Lockdown podcast along with Dara O'Kearney. Today, beyond the first-class content he consistently puts out, we'll be discussing David's career in poker and life away from the game, getting to know him a little bit better beyond the felt over the next hour. So, David, welcome to Cards Chat. Nice to see you again. Cheers, Robbie. I uh, I fixed myself a, a triple espresso, so I'm super high energy for this. Also, want to say I was pretty confident, maybe eighty percent confident, you were setting up a dick napkin joke there at the start, but you went with some pot of the pot, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow guff instead. I think I think the Irish variant works pretty nicely. So <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We'll try to no, make and, that. And, and you told me off camera, like you introduced this as the friendly show, and I appreciate that. We have been talking about all the controversial things just before you hit the magic red button there. So we've got them out of my system. I'm going to be really, really nice and positive, and I'm not going to call anyone out. It's going to be lovely. Brilliant. So it sounds good. Let's hope that sticks. Uh, it is verbal, so it is binding, David. Um, of course, plenty of people in our Cards Chat community already know who you are. After all, they all they did request you uh, as an interviewee for this podcast. But for in 28th position, in fairness, like not not in the top 10, not even in the top 20. Episode 28, that's where you were on the list today. Actually, in fairness, you were probably a bit lower because you called me at quite short notice today. I'm going to guess I was actually a little further down and I got fubbed. <laughs> we preserved, what was it? Is there a Fifth Amendment uh, on the trial? <laughs> we'll please the Fifth. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, though, it was like, oh, David Lappin, who's this guy? Give us the 60-second elevator pitch summary beyond what I've already mentioned in the introduction. Uh, troublemaker, um, ambassador. Sorry, Daryl Gurney described me as maybe one of the only ambassadors who is able to get away with firing as many shots as I do these days because it's sort of pre-packaged into what you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> so may maybe I'm I'm the kind of um, saltiest of the ambassadors out there, but uh, I, I do like to call it a spade a spade, as they say. And uh, uh, yeah, I've been playing poker for 14 and a half years, quite mm -hmm. a while, seen quite a few paradigm shifts over that time, um, been a profitable player all that time, proud to say, uh, admittedly bumps in the road as any professional will attest, but uh, it's, it's sure. been pretty plain sailing viewed from a macro level. Mm -hmm. um, I have been an ambassador for Unibet for four years. I'm yep. Just signed my contract for a fifth year, actually, just a couple of weeks ago. So delighted to be representing them for another year. And with that comes the Chip Race, which is my podcast you mentioned there at the top. We'll be coming back to I Know um, and the Lock-In. They're sort of the big um, products, content creation products that myself and Dara put out these days. So, uh, yeah. Sure. Looking forward to chatting to you about it all. Sure. And accent notwithstanding, you're actually not in Ireland. You're not in the Emerald Isle. You're on a different island in Malta, right? Yes, I'm on a little Mediterranean archipelago here in uh, Malta, uh, the major island. We have a, a few islands here, um, but I, I live on the main one in a little town called St. Julian's. Uh -huh. um, I, I think it's technically a city because it's got a really big 
cathedral or church in it. But uh, uh, basically think of the entirety of Malta as about the size of a small city. And every little place in Malta is a suburb, really. Right. And I've been there. I mean, if it's tra- if there's traffic, it's a city. So I think it certainly qualifies. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, you are on an island. I mean, you know, everyone everywhere in the entire world has experienced this pandemic in different ways. I imagine being on a small island, perhaps you've fared better than most. You know, can you tell us what the last year has been like there? Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. We've been really lucky in the overall picture of things. Um, We did a lockdown this time last year, much like everywhere in Europe. I think it lasted about eight weeks. Um, That was very strict, of course. That was sort of just going out for your groceries and maybe having a little walk where you stayed very far away from everyone else. Um, But then we came out of that lockdown, I want to say, late April, early May. Mm -hmm. And life sort of went back to semi-normality and by that I mean they quite early on did a mask mandate so everyone had to wear masks in all public places um I guess that there's a natural advantage with the temperature being warmer here um you've also got the closure of pubs and nightclubs but they kept the restaurants and the cafes open again strong emphasis on social distancing sanitation and everything else as you can imagine once you do that but the very fact that you can go to a restaurant or go to a coffee shop makes a huge difference in quality of life and the fact that malta and the weather allows you to be outdoors so much and so much of the premises of these places have a little outside area, you can almost resemble normal life. So I I think we've been very, very fortunate. Caseload was very low last year. This winter has been quite bad relatively for Malta. Again, without doing any lockdowns, there there has been an increase in cases recently, um, actually very recently, a, a little spike. But Fingers crossed the vaccination rollout is actually the best in Europe, even better than the UK. And uh, we'll be hoping to sort of get back to an even greater sense of normality by the summer once maybe the over 50s are all vaccinated. That's probably a, a key moment where very few deaths will occur from that point onwards. Sure. That, that's really good news. How, how about the casinos? I know there's quite a few casinos on Malta. Have those been open at all? Or are they going to be opening soon? Yeah, they've actually been all open since, I want to say, July. Oh, wow. Um, I have not frequented them at all, I've got to say. I actually was in one of them once when it was closed uh, for just a, it was a demonstration of a, a new casino product I was invited to. There was like five people in the entire place. Um, but I have, I wouldn't and, and haven't gone into a casino or, or don't really want to go into those kind of crowded environments. There are hmm. some bars, uh, coffee shops and things around the town that are quite busy. I would generally steer clear of those and go to the quieter places um but uh, but yeah no the 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 casinos are happening and in fact there is probably around the time you drop this episode there will be an event uh the dso will be in portomasso casino Uh the one with the big tower that people might know and uh and that will be i want to say maybe a 250 runner event uh played five max because that's the maximum amount of people you're allowed to have on a table Mm. in the casinos interesting i've been to portomasso definitely a really beautiful location it's nice to hear that there is, uh, you know, rumblings of some poker. They got the cash games going. So that's good. I mean, the reason I asked you about going to casinos, I mean, of course, you were, you know, beyond playing online, of course, you were a traveling live poker pro. You did a lot of travel. I've met you in places in, I mean, in Las Vegas and Barcelona and in Malta and in, in Bucharest. You know, I've, you've been everywhere, David. I mean, that's probably been quite a bit of an adjustment for you. Can you tell us, you know, 
a little bit about that as far as just, you know, you're professional, you're playing poker, but it's basically all online now. Absolutely. Well, firstly, thank you very much. The last time we were in Vegas, you gave me the all access behind the scenes pass of all the WSOP stuff going on. You were obviously working on that uh, live stream. So uh, you were very kind, showing me around uh, how it all worked, all the technical stuff. That was fun. Uh, you're right. We, we do stumble across one another pretty regularly, as I'm sure everyone can attest in poker. You just sort of you choose your live events. A lot of crossover with friends of yours. You see people every every second or third stop. Some people you see on almost every stop. It's been a huge adjustment uh, from that point of view. I would have played 100 tournaments a year. I would have maybe done about 16 trips a year. Malta is a great poker hub, so there would be six or seven big festivals here as well. So probably all in all, 25 festivals, probably playing live poker every two weeks. And it's gone from that to literally zero. I played online poker throughout the pandemic, but I have not set foot in a casino with the exception of that one time, as I said, and that wasn't to play. Um, I am looking forward to getting back to it, but I'm probably on the more cautious side. I'm probably on the more um, nitty side when it comes to the, this pandemic. I, I, I don't have direct access to any elderly people, which is great. But you know, on the flip side of that, my son goes to school and he's in a bubble of five kids. And who knows what those five kids do when they go home? Maybe they have elderly relatives. So I try to be as safe as possible. Hmm. Well, what do you miss the most about playing live? Uh, I, I definitely miss the, the camaraderie and the, and the sort of not playing aspect in, in a way. It is a social sort of uh, part of the whole thing. When you when you do the traveling circus, as you described it, um, it, it can be a really nice break from the monotony of like a month of online grind. You might do sure. your month or six weeks and then you've got a trip to look forward to. And then that trip comes with breakfast in the morning, maybe, you know, some some dinner breaks where you get to see people, maybe a couple of nights out. If, uh, if you're unlucky in the tournaments and, and you can kind of let your hair down, um, I definitely miss all the people trying my best to, to stay in touch with everybody. But I think it's a weird aspect of this, maybe sort of as we go into the second year of this kind of COVID world, you feel like people are dropping off and I don't mm. know what's going on there. I think there is a general, maybe everyone's sick and tired of it. Everyone's a bit pissed off, frankly. And uh, it's hard to sort of even motivate yourself to get in a better humor and maintain Maybe the more casual relationships, of course, you're going to talk to family and friends. But, you know, those kind of that second level of friendships, those acquaintances that you 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 might see on these kind of situations, unless there's a direct reason to talk to them from work. But I'm conscious I've let a few people fall away. I want to get them all back as soon as possible. Right. Well, I don't take offense, David, and it's fine. I appreciate you answered the phone. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> We talk weekly, Robbie. I don't know what you're talking we about. We do. Here. We're actually quite we a... We talk quite more a, since the pandemic. <laughs> I would say so. I agree with that. Um, well, as far as, you know, the live play, one of the questions we love asking here at the Cards Chat podcast, who is the friendliest poker player you've ever sat with at the tables? Oh, that's a good question. Um, who's friendly? Do you know what? I actually have to give a, a weird shout out to somebody I almost never would. Ian Simpson is pound for pound one of the friendliest people you'll ever meet. He's a simple chap. It's got to be said, you know. You know, there's not a huge amount of um, of of badness in him. I very rarely have heard him say a bad word about anyone. He just kind of wants to get along and enjoy himself, and he's. The consummate ambassador, actually, at that level. Darrow Carney is very good as well. Obviously, um, the kind of person that you can have a, a, a kind of a deep and meaningful chat with maybe at the table, have a have a little conversation off to the side. I've got to give a shout out to both of my uh, fellow Unibet uh, ambassadors. They definitely shore up the area I lack, maybe. Um, I, I'll certainly have a chat with you, but it mightn't be that friendly. 
<laughs> I, I hear that. And yes, definitely shout out to Ian, uh, your fellow ambassador at Unibet Poker. I mean, of course, at Unibet Poker, it's not just the online site. They have, you know, tons, you know, a good, uh, what, dozen, something like a half dozen uh, live tournament series usually throughout the year. But like every operator, you know, they've moved. I love the way you guys put it from IRL to URL. It's a, it's a really cool uh way of describing it. It's the truth. And that's certainly ongoing for the rest of this year as well. Uh, as a player, though, you know, like you said, you're basically only playing online. How has that affected you as far as your play, as far as your strategy? Um, you know, do you have to like mix it up a little bit more? Do you have to play a little bit differently? You have to play better, <laughs> to be perfectly really? honest. Um, I think live poker is is so soft generally that you can probably get away with more. You can probably take more passive lines and kind of put yourself in spots where you can use that physical component. You can look at somebody and try and figure out what they have um, as opposed to just sort of deconstructing their betting pattern or whatever it might be or the population tendencies obviously online there's just a much greater level of rigorousness you, you just have to have very good fundamentals you can't get away with playing online poker without at least being really strong fundamentally these days and then above and beyond that you've got to also have you know maybe that higher you know, capability too. You've got to be able to uh, understand maybe the, the different ICM pressure points in a tournament. I mostly play tournaments. You've got to understand uh, how to exploit other regulars, which is, you know, again, if you're playing a lot of live poker, you're probably able to gobble up that recreational sort of money in a much greater way online. You know, certainly the stakes I play, more mid-stakes admittedly, but when you get into those games, you've got to be kind of willing to tussle with some decent players. Mm -hmm, for sure. And you said you're doing better. So you certainly have a handle on all those uh, fundamentals. So that's pretty good to hear. Um, you know, beyond all of the things you mentioned, one of the important things any poker player knows, even newbies, is, is game selection. It's obviously very important for someone who wants to succeed. You know, you always say like the, if you're the eighth best player in the world, but you're sitting with the seven best, that's not good game selection. You ain't going to win. Um, how much time and effort do you put into finding good tournaments, good cash games now and what sort of factors or elements are you sort of on the lookout for that you say okay this is where i'm going to go ahead and, and pull up a seed and this is where i'm going to register that's a great question and i guess it's so inbuilt into my whole philosophy in poker that maybe i take it for granted at times but yeah i am a consummate game selector the fact that i'm a unibet ambassador sort of makes one aspect of this easy because the games on unibet are soft there's a lot of value in those games they're hoodless games they're essentially anonymous games people can choose their avatar and their alias and they can change it as often as they want pretty much so you can effectively play without anyone having any knowledge of who you are which sort of means you're going to end up falling into population tendencies you're not going to have those like specific notes about how to beat up a specific villain you come across it, it's going to be much more uh, a generalized theory but those games are really good and obviously being an ambassador for the site the first thing i do when i load up uh, a nighttime session is just find all the kind of 25 dollar plus games on unibet there's a decent range between 25 bucks and 100 bucks every night there's a decent number of good rebuys so even the 25s are really a, a 75 or 100 average buy-in 
and uh, and 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 that sort of maybe covers about forty percent of my screen. I'm quite a big multi-tabler, so then I kind of look to other sites. I don't mind saying I go to Poker Stars; uh, they have a lot of PKOs. I've sort of taken a bit of an interest in PKOs. Dara's obviously the man who wrote the book. I got to read the book before the book even came out. I've been grinding the the, the information and trying to learn as much as I can in that format. So just trying to apply that stuff. As many PKOs as I can find on stars, on party, um, dabbling a little bit with GG these days, although I haven't really uh, put in a big grind there. That looks like it's 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 definitely um, got some decent options too. Uh, I used to be a decent micro gaming grinder back in the day, but now it's much more. Uh, they've moved to iPoker. I really don't like that software, so I haven't made that leap yet. But maybe uh, those games are pretty soft too. Um, so yeah, they're they're probably around the stake level I play. If you want to put a, a nighttime schedule together, they're pretty good. Um, obviously, mix in a bit of eight eight eight. Although I haven't done that recently, but I did before Christmas. Um, I'm always just sort of chasing the best, maybe. 50 to 100 quid games that I can find. I want to fill my screen, pack it up there. As I said, 40% of it will be uni bet. Um, invariably, they're the ones you make final tables on because they're slightly smaller field sizes. So usually I'll have something to brag about at the end of the night. Uh, you'll, you'll you'll see me brag away on, on Twitter or whatever if I do happen to make a final table. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the way it is these days. But it's, as I said, it's so baked into my whole philosophy of poker. It was right there from the very beginning. When I was a new player, when I was trying to you know, essentially make it cut my teeth as a 45 man grinder average buy-in of like 20 bucks. I was two grand in the bank account. Like if I had a bad, bad month, that was me busto. So it taught me to be really, really strict on that stuff and, and have those sort of, you know, game selection fundamentals that I, I suppose have never really gone away. I think it's always so fascinating, you know, for recreational players such as myself to hear what exactly goes through a pro's mind as far as game selection is a lot we could learn from that sort of a thing. And also just for those who are not familiar with the abbreviations, HUDs, heads up displays, ICM, independent chip model, and PKO are the progressive knockouts. So definitely uh, you've got a lot on your plate and uh, it's it's really cool uh, to hear about that, uh, David. Um, I do believe that you have a little bit of an announcement for us as far as something that Unibet Poker is gonna be running pretty soon. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I I knew I was going to be on your show today, Robbie. I had a word with the fabulous Kat Arnsby and Christopher Burkfell. They're the marketing person and the head of poker in Unibet. And uh, a little bit racist, I thought of them, to be honest. They told me about a Paddy's Day promotion, which I suppose <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe made, made that up just for me. I'm not sure. But they're, uh, they're doing some cash game promotion uh, around Patrick's Day where they're giving away about five grand on the day, I think, in various mission forms. There's a very gamified um, cash game loyalty scheme with Unibet, and it's it's built into the, the missions there. Um, obviously, as well, come to the end of this month, the Unibet Online series is on right now. It will be culminating uh, with the Unibet Open on the 19th, 21st, 22nd of this month. And that will be really big. You know, that's a 1K buy-in online tournament that's particularly soft. Obviously, the 1K circuit online is particularly tough. Right. And I would usually that light into those kind of games. I would think of them as more like the standard of a 5K live tournament, to be perfectly honest. Wow. But not, not so with Unibet. The 1K is much more 
like a hundred quid buy-in, to be honest. They've been satelliting people into this thing for months and months, and you're going to have a lot of satellite qualifiers, a lot of recreationals in there. Um, again, the, the the hoodless feature to Unibet means that you don't really feel like anyone's like completely, you know, zoning in on your weaknesses or anything. So for any recreational players out there who fancy a satellite into something like that, if you do get into the main tournament itself, you won't be that big a dog. In fact, you might even be break even with the field as a recreational, let alone, you know, a, a low stakes winner so um yeah no that that they're really really good tournaments and i'm looking forward to that actually very lucky got to uh play that in december and come forth um nice. and my very good friend uh porrick o'neill completed that wild back-to-back where he won it and he had won the previous unibet open as well so sort of mind-blowing uh achievement there uh, there are a couple of two-time unibet open winners but they did it on the live felt and they didn't do it back-to-back like porrick <laughs> Excellent. I mean, you did mention this uh, cash game promotion and you mentioned before also you're mostly a tournament player. Why? Well, what is there like what's the difference to you as far as a professional? You study hard. You've been doing this, as you said, for 14 years. Why did you select tournaments and choose those and prefer those over cash games? Great question. And I don't really have a great answer other than I probably had my early positive experiences in tournaments. Mm. And I think that probably made me feel like, oh, these are kind of nicer. I, I enjoy these. I suppose the the story of the beginning, middle and end phase keeps you interested, or at least it did keep me interested then. And for that reason, they became more my speciality. I guess as well, when I got good at poker for the first time, say like a year in, and I finally thought, oh, I'm actually good at this game now, rather than someone who was just kind of trying and reading all the books and doing my best. Um, one of the things I realized I was very good at was the short stack fundamentals. Uh-huh. So, you know, playing 10 bigs, playing 15 bigs, playing 20 bigs, anything in that zone and, and in between as well, I realized I was playing pretty damn well. And if you think about it, what tournament do you ever play where you don't end up in that zone for at least a while? Sometimes you grind the whole tournament in that zone. So <laughs> being good at that meant that I generally was, you know, delivering good results. And uh, yeah, I, I guess that's why I, I, I splash around in the cash games once in a while. But no, it's definitely not my forte. Uh, and I would be value in any game higher than a 2-5 live, I assume, um, unless it was a particularly soft lineup. But, uh, Let but me yeah, take the a note. Stuff. Hold on. David is a dog. Yeah. Okay, good. good. <laughs> we'll that's make sure we're placing 2-5 next time we're in yeah. Las Vegas, David. <laughs> but it's funny to say that because like, I, I wouldn't think twice about a main event buy-in an EPT okay. buy-in played lots of those five grand probably not going to get your money back you know four times out of five or whatever it is sure. five times out of six maybe um so psychologically knowing that that money's gone before you play and then hopefully cashing having a few results is one thing but then like if I was to sit down with like three grand in a cash game I think I'd already be like oh this is quite a lot of money sitting in front of me on the table right so I it is kind of, it's a weird uh, way in which I think two very different poker mindsets maybe find the other one hard to comp- comprehend fully. For sure. Well, very well put. And I think it's you know, important. It is the same game after all, but there's just, you know, a litany uh, of differences. Um, well, David, and of course, in poker, we're not supposed to be results oriented, but someone who is high profile like yourself, we're compelled to look at how you've done. So it is hand in mob time, Mr. Lappin. Um, before we get into any specifics, to what degree do those numbers matter to you? Do you want to be top of the list, you know, king of the leaderboard, uh, most caches, you know, best, you know, Irish player? Like, is that an important thing for you? Um, yes and no. 
Um, when I was a full-time grinder, so before I was an ambassador and I kind of split my time between content creation and playing and, and, and all of that good stuff, yeah, I was very focused on being the best player that I could be. And I wanted to, you know, climb the pocket fives, Irish rankings, for example, or I wanted to compete for the UK IPT leaderboard back in the day when Dara O'Carney, Dara Davy, and myself really went for both online and live leaderboards. And I think I ended up second in one and third in the other. O'Carney, of course, won the satellite one and uh, and Dara Davy actually won the live one. So I was I was sort of the bridesmaid in both cases. But yeah, I was I was really going for that. Um I don't really think too much about like, oh, like I think I'm the second most cashed Irish person to Dara. But like, that's just fucking weird. Like, I think I'm the 40th most amount of money and really the money is the only thing that does matter. So right. that's not, that's just more of a product of the fact that I play a lot of 500 to 1K live tournaments and I'm on the circuit, you know, 20 trips a year or whatever right. I said it was. So so that that's more just like what happens when you do that for a decent number of years. Um, I, w- I wouldn't put too much stock in that. These days, it's a bit trickier because... I know I can't really climb any of those rankings for a start. Unibet aren't tracked properly because of the anonymous nature. So ah, right. like at least 40% of my volume doesn't even get like put on a leaderboard or tracking system like Pocket Fives or whatever it is. Right. And I'll just interrupt you for one second because, you know, much of our audience is American. You're not necessarily aware that uh, it's a Europe. What's it? GLDR? What's it called? Um, GDPR. GDPR. Uh, it's uh, some sort of um, you know, why don't you go ahead and explain it for those who aren't familiar because I'm you know American too so I don't remember it's something to do with un- anonymity and not uh, you know privacy laws something like that. yeah it's essentially a, a kind of a, a, the entitlement that you have to online anonymity and mm. uh, they're much more strictly enforced here in Europe in fact that there was a, a big law I want to say like four years ago passed which sort of made it so that people couldn't share details so if you give your details to a site let's use the example of poker now, they can't pass that on to a third party. They can't do anything with that. Um, so, you know, it's good. It's good for your own protection, but it does create some small complexities or trickiness when you're trying to do certain stuff. One being, you know, obviously anonymous poker. Well, if your players are all going to be anonymous, we can't then send on your results to Sharkscope or to OPR or one of those tracking things that would just be completely wrong. So we right. don't. And, and hence, you know, a good chunk of my volume these days doesn't even get tracked. So I'm never even going to be in the picture on that stuff. So I suppose what I do to soothe the beast, because I still have that competitive drive, is I target our leaderboard. So uh, Unibet, have an online series the one i mentioned is going on right now we run that four times a year and there's always a leaderboard attached at least two out of those four times i'll go for it it means playing like 25 days in a row to be honest as a family man that's pretty tough yeah sharon has to take a hit uh i become kind of anti-social there's no fun but uh but you know as i said it kind of gives me something to compete for and i've done quite well i've won that leaderboard uh, four times or I've won nice. leaderboards four times not necessarily the big one all four times but one of the leaderboards uh, on four occasions and I'm going for it again in this one so um, that's good fun and that kind of scratches the itch of wanting to kind of compete and see if I can still tussle but then in the end of the day that's a sample size of like 100 tournaments so well that's not completely insignificant bigger picture it kind of is I understand I hear you well, I, mean, I did look at those results I did say I looked at the hand in my page and I noticed something is that all of your live caches, the ones that I see there that are recorded, uh, they come in three and four figure buy-in events. So um, my first question is how many 10K and up events have you played? And 
Secondly, is it an aspiration of yours to move up to those five-figure buy-ins or are you just, you know what, I'm happy, I'm doing okay, I'm cashing a lot and, you know, you know making money consistently. Maybe I don't need to play for the uh, nosebleed stakes. Uh, tricky. I, I, I've never played a five-figure tournament that wasn't the main. And the main is a different animal because... And the WSOP, right? Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. The WSOP main event is just a kind of a special thing. It's a 10K tournament that's the standard of a 500 quid tournament. Right. And while you will find the best players in the world in it, the standard is across the board. So that's kind of the one you can't miss. Right. Um, so in fact, I've never played a five-figure tournament. If you remove that, um, EPT, I think maybe I've played 10. They were 5Ks. That's probably as tough a field as I've ever put myself in. And at the time, I did feel like I could compete reasonably well. That was probably a few years ago now, I will admit. These days, yeah, I like. I wouldn't feel like, say, the 5K in up circuit would be something I would be confident I would be anything better than break even in. Hmm. And even at that, I would be game selecting quite strictly, I assume. So it just doesn't make sense. When I'm on the live circuit these days, the 1K circuit with the 2K high roller, the 500 side event is kind of perfect. And I, and I just, uh, you know, do all of that stuff. And then I add in the, the Vegas where I'll take the kind of bigger shots. Sure. Um, of course, if I was to have a few big results, if I was to maybe get into the lab a bit more, really sharpen up my game, you know, maybe at some point in the future, maybe when it's not all about family life as well, because that's a big focus too these days. I have a four-year-old son. Um, when that kind of maybe tempers down a bit, perhaps I'll, I'll re-engage with trying to become as good as I can possibly be, uh, at which point maybe, if I had the money, maybe, but like, to be honest, you know, the swings in those games are pretty ridiculous. And I think you pretty much need a million dollar bankroll to even consider start playing a 10k circuit so sure well bank bankroll management is of course so very important how many stories have we heard of people who have had one huge score and then all of a sudden you know within a year it's it's gone because they just went ahead you know and, and played for stakes that were too high so uh you know the very conscientious uh, decision making of you um one other thing i noticed on your hand in my profile of course you know i said you've been going around traveling the circuit you've got 23 flags so you've cashed in 23 different uh countries or you know different locations jurisdictions around the world would you say from your experience having played in so many places cities countries are there places where the players are specifically more skilled less skilled or is it really just a function of the stakes that you play for i think it's mostly a function of the stakes um yeah. i think it's definitely the case that, I hate to say it, America these days is a little softer. It was a little tougher, but it's very fair um, to kind of explain why that is. You know, uh, Dara O'Garney has a great phrase for this. He says, they've been on a different evolutionary track ever since Black Friday, and that's very much true. Online poker is in hyperspeed. Live poker is at a snail's pace. If you're only improving at a snail's pace and getting that number of hands in, it's more likely that you're not going to really keep up with the, the, the modern paradigm. So admittedly, I only go over to Vegas maybe once or twice a year. World Series is certainly one of those times. That's a particularly soft festival. Um, it feels like the Americans are a little bit more value. Sorry, guys. Um, it, it used to be the case. It used to be the other way around. I remember I lived in America in 2008, 9, 10, and, uh, and I would have said it was actually much tougher back then for sure. So, um, so there's no shame in it. But yeah, I do feel like that might be the case. I would feel like maybe in Europe, 
if you go to the more uh, Latino countries or Latin countries, France, Spain, Italy, I do feel like there's a kind of a, a tendency to be overly aggressive. And if you can adjust your game appropriately, maybe play a slightly more stationary game, slightly more trappy game. I think that's an adjustment you can make and do extra well there. Um, obviously, the Irish are just the best. You know, they're, that, that's the toughest place to make money. Irish people, uh, you know, they don't open their wallets easily and uh, you're not going to get any of the cash out of them. Uh, they're all too good. Uh, have to say, have to say that, have to say that, don't I? The best and the most humble, I must say. Um, <laughs> well, I did say, David, we're not going to be results-oriented. So let's touch a little bit on the process. Like all professional poker players, you, of course, do spend some time, not all your time, you got a lot of you know balls that you're juggling, but some time in the lab studying. Um, are there any specific areas of study that you have been focusing on recently or in general that you're always trying to hone your skills? Well, I have to say, shout out to Patrick Leonard here. I have uh, managed to get my hands on pads on pads. And while I'm only at the beginning of that, I'm finding that absolutely phenomenal. So credit to him for creating that piece of content. Um, I also uh, do like to play the DTO app. I was one of the first people to probably download the thing when it first came out. I've been a friend of Dominic's uh, for a long time. So as soon as I saw that he was putting his name on, not just his name, actually, but all his charts, all his information, all his gold, he was going to share some of that uh, amazingly valuable stuff. Um, I was an early adapter and I've been incorporating DTO training uh, pretty much since it, it, it became a thing. Right. And big shout out to, to that piece of kid as well. They've, they've just release their pre-flop charts now too, which while I probably have my own sort of stuff on that, again, great value and fairness. He, he's putting it out and undercutting the market on that stuff too. Um, so I would recommend those two pieces of kit. They're, they're really good. I have a Run It Once subscription, which I use a little bit too. Daniel DeVoris videos are brilliant. Greenwood videos are brilliant. Um, so I'm kind of getting my coaching that way. And then of course, well, I'm very fortunate. Not everybody can be lucky enough to say this, but I've got Darrow Carney on the back phone. I've got him on speed dial. So if I need a hand run through or I need a bit of on the spot advice of like, what would you have done here? I'm in a really nice circle of friends, uh, mm. a lot of Irish professionals. We talk hands through and, you know, Dara obviously is at the tippy top of that. Um, you know, usually will go away and give me a solver output on the hand the next day if it's a hand I'm really thinking about or maybe one that's puzzling him too. And uh, yeah, we talk a lot of, you know, strategy. Obviously we have a lot of strategy segments for the chip race sure. and, uh, and, and we like to prep them as well as we can too. So we're always talking about, you know, training, coaching type stuff. Right. Well, it's definitely good to keep those uh, gears well oiled. Uh, and I'm sure that's something that, you know, many of our listeners, many people watching this video want to do as well. For those who are a little bit more at the beginning of their poker path, you know, they're not necessarily at the pads on pad stage or the DTO app from Dominic Nietzsche. Uh, are there any particular resources you may wish to recommend to them? Maybe they don't necessarily have poker friends with whom to consult just yet. If you really do want to get a sort of an early crash course uh, and, and, and you have a handle on the on the basic stuff, um, you know, one thing that is great because it sort of soothes the soul is if you can get into a tournament cheaper, if you can satellite into something. So having some satellite weapons hmm. uh, early on will actually stand to you really well because it'll get you into some games 
feeling a little bit more comfortable because you've ponied up less money. Uh, and on that, obviously, I have to give a shout out to Daryl Garney and Barry Carter and their fantastic book on satellite strategy, which I don't think anyone will ever um, write anything even close to, you know, I think they sort of wrote the Bible. I think mm. anything that follows will be, maybe they'll find a little spot here or there that, you know, Daryl and Barry miss, but I really can't see it. It's just so comprehensive. Um, so I think that's a really useful weapon. But But then I suppose that does still already suggest that you have some knowledge um maybe you go back to some old books maybe you go back Ooh. to your harrington on holdems and just try and you know uh, figure out range uh, in fairness upswing have a very good seven dollar course i believe it's just seven books which sort of gets you to grips with you know seabedding and ranging and isolating limpers and that kind of stuff and um i believe that's very good although i will admit i've never um watched it but i've heard good things Interesting. I mean, that actually does dovetail quite nicely into my next question. You mentioned Upswing. I noticed that you started writing for them as well, uh, the Upswing Poker blog, I guess, uh, as well as another site, Vegas Slots Online Plus.com. Uh, and plus, every so often, of course, you've been writing uh, a strategy column at Poker News. Uh, how did all of these writing initiatives uh, come about and, and what do you enjoy about each of them? Yeah, they all kind of came to me, to be honest. Obviously, really? I've always written a blog and I've always, um, you know, like I, I take copious notes. Even before this interview, Robbie, I could show you. Here on my phone, I've got notes just in case I need to fall back on something or remind myself of something. Wow. Uh, so, so I've always been somebody who's who's writing, you know, opinion pieces in the form of blogs for for poker i've been writing strategy segments for the show which obviously end up sort of structuring those pieces dara obviously does all the heavy lifting there with the solver and the analysis but i'm sort of piecing maybe the the structure or shape of it together for us there and uh, and you know as such have a good handle on that material too um basically the strategy pieces for poker news were a legacy of our time um, pitching those pieces to Martin Harris, who used to write for Poker News, mm. and he used to write those for us. And then when he left, we were in danger of losing that sort of being in the shop uh. window of Poker News, uh, which is a great you know place to get your your, your information out. Sure. And I spoke to Will Schillebier, who obviously is the editor-in-chief there, and he said that if I wrote them myself, which to be honest isn't a big deal because they're not very long articles and it's on stuff I've already written notes on, um, then they can present them that way and we can effectively get a little uh, a little advertisement for the, the Chip Races strategy video. So that's where that came from. Um, I did some commentary for Upswing during the Pulp Dean Eggs Challenge in, well, either side of Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, in doing so, became very good pals with Mike Brady, who's a lovely, lovely man, one of the nicest people I've ever come across in poker. And Mike suggested to me, he said, would I consider writing longer strategy articles based on our chip race videos, go back into the archive and kind of reorder them and sort of put them out that way via their site, I guess, in the absence of Doug creating content with Thomas Keeling, mm -hmm. they maybe have a slight dearth of content that can put out the upswing brand uh -huh. and they're looking for a few people who could do something similar look none of us are Doug Polk none of us have that reach but you know maybe do something akin to the way he put out videos so that's sort of what I've been doing for them that's been really nice and basically putting out a piece every two weeks with those guys uh, and they're lovely to work with as I said 
Mike Brady's just the nuts. He makes everything so easy. And then I was approached by Vegas Lots Online, actually a company called Blexer, who I think mm. um, sort of give their articles to different um, companies or affiliate sites that they work with. So gotcha. I wasn't exactly sure of who I was writing for, to be honest, but I knew I was essentially writing poker news articles that had a slight op-ed quality. So they were previously writing news pieces. They were keen to... I don't want to like I don't want it to make it seem like anyone who can't because I don't even know the writers who came before me. But I guess what they were doing before was a little uh, less in the industry and a little less opinionated. Mm. And they wanted to bring somebody in who could, with some amount of authority, hopefully have a little bit uh, talk or comment on these types of things. They had seen the lock in show uh-huh. and thought, oh, you cover like four news things in that hour long show with the guest. Is there any way you could kind of expand on maybe two or three of those things per week and put them out as news content for us. And that's a delicate one for me, I'm going to be honest, because I don't really want to write poker news, if I'm honest. Like, I don't really want it to be like, oh, this happened or so-and-so won something. Um, and there may be times where I, I might have to do a kind of a piece of that nature, but I'm much more interested in doing the more op-ed kind of stuff. And I'm hoping they'll go in that direction with me. If they will, then I'll probably continue to write for them um, because um, I do like to kind of get my voice out there in some form. And I guess if I wasn't doing it and being paid to do it by them, I'd be doing it in a blog. So (laughs) I I suppose you and I are birds of a feather in that way. Um, Well, we talked about a lot uh, about your poker play. We talked a lot about your your content creation. Uh, Obviously, juggling both is a challenge for anyone. But, you know, as someone who's clearly involved, you know, very heavily in both, how do you decide what to give priority, priority to? on any given day and maybe do you have like a a weekly schedule or it's just, you know, take it one day at a time. The pandemic has been good for this weirdly because you're always at home. So you're in a position to really schedule out your, your life months ahead uh, with a pretty strong degree of confidence that nothing will change, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, So creating content was much tougher when I was traveling every month, essentially, with Dara, we would batch stuff. We would even create content on the road together if we were at the oh. same trip. And, uh, and and yeah, it was a much more race to the finish line most of the time when I would get back to uh, base camp here in Malta. I might have like a show going out this week and next week and the week after because we were doing it in kind of a month on a month off back then. And uh, and that would be a genuine scramble to the finishing line, trying to book guests, make sure we get them in in time, make sure I can get the edit done in time. And uh, since pandemic, it's just like, oh, I can box in those interviews and we can do it at a much kind of slower pace. And everyone's everyone's in the same position. Everyone's sitting at their computer at home happy to have the chat with you previously they were busy and now they're like oh i get to talk to somebody in the real world brilliant okay yeah i can book, book me in for friday that's cool confirmed so, confirmed yeah, yeah so so i think with that in mind um it's been so much easier we obviously added on the show we're actually coming up to our first year anniversary of the lock-in we premiered it on april 1st april fool's day uh, last year um, as a sort of an attempt to, well, we didn't really know what we were going to do. We, we knew we wanted to put out some extra content. We knew we wouldn't be providing value to Unibet at the live events. And we didn't want to leave them short of content. Mm. And we kind of wanted to maybe do something a little bit extra. We were fumbling around in the dark at the beginning of what that show would be. I think it's obvious when you watch the first maybe three or four episodes, we're not quite sure what kind of show we're making. Right. We're sort of like chatting to the guests. We're figuring it out. But 
I think around the fifth or sixth episode, we, we realized that the thing that resonated more was talking about topics in poker, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some subjects specific to the guests, but also general topics and getting them to weigh in just as much as we would. And that sort of worked. So since then, we've been basically making the show in a similar fashion. We're coming up on our 23rd, 24th show now. Nice. And um, yeah, basically putting out two of those every month. And again, we're just able to pace it. I, I think if we go back to the live world, something will have to give. We probably yeah. won't be able to produce quite so much stuff or certainly not in the consistent way. We switched the chip race to a fortnightly show because we just thought, oh, we can just do one every two weeks. There won't ever be a spot where we're not around. So that's good as well. Um, but, I, you know, I, you, you mentioned what's kind of a priority. And, you know, you mentioned my writing stuff, lock-in, chip race, Obviously, family is 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 the main priority. Oh. But when it comes to work stuff, um, I guess it's like a mixture between playing because I want to kind of keep Sundays definitely free for playing, and then maybe another two nights a week. That's pretty much what I do these days. And then the chip race. The chip race is still my baby, to be honest. I still just have so much affection for that show. I think we really did something great with that show where we put together a, a genuine variety package every week. Yeah. We try and, you know, talk to loads of different people in the industry. We try and polish those interviews up so that it's a really tight show. There's yep. no flab in there. And uh, yeah, I, I still think that will be a hard one to beat for me just because I kind of feel like that's the best calling card I have and most representative of the kind of thing I wanted to maybe uh, create in poker as a piece of content so yeah that's even though i love the lock-in it's a good show it's an easier one to make as well it's a bit like this chat sure um whereas the the, the chip race is a real labor of love there's about 28 29 hours going to the making of every show wow uh, by somebody so you know some of those are dara's hours good a lot of them are mine some of them are sharon's my girlfriend who actually does all our graphic work and uh yeah we're, we're, we're just you know we're you know about 15 minutes is ian simpson's uh, <laughs> yeah, it take it um, certainly takes a village. You know, when it's not, it didn't yeah. just win an award for being there. And let's let's pick one that starts with the letter C. So it's a, it's a great podcast, and that actually is the last couple questions uh, that I have for you. You know, we mentioned it is the GPI award winning chip race. He hosted with Dara O'Kearney, uh, and I just want to point out as well, he was our guest for episode number nineteen here on the Cards Chat Podcast. Always a good uh, shout out to all of our previous episodes. If you're just tuning in for the first time to this one, episode number 28, we've got a nice catalog going back a few months. Go ahead and feel free to listen to those. Um, you guys- Sorry, just to clarify there, but sorry to interrupt. So sure. Dara is nine people more popular than I am. That's that's basically what that means. And Finton Hand is just one person more popular because I saw he was on last week. Yes. So, you know, good, good representation by the Irish there. Coming back to what I said about the Irish kicking ass in poker, there's three of us in the first 28. You guys certainly pack a punch. <laughs> and I believe uh, Lynn Gilmartin was also, I think she was episode number seven or eight, and she was born in Ireland. So that's got to count as well, right? Um, and we're cousins. You know Lynn and I are cousins. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, right. No, he, we actually are cousins. <laughs> He's Lynn Gilmartin. I'm David Kilmartin Lappin. Gilmartin is the Irish of Kilmartin. And I did my due diligence on this before we had her on our show. And it's an absolute coin flip. There's basically a 50-50 chance whether she is related or isn't, because there's only two Kilmartin families. In Interesting. Dublin. Okay. So, so this is your claim to fame, but not necessarily <laughs> hers. Well, well, she's like fucking Nicole Kidman now doing her movies and shit. So when she becomes really famous, that's going to be more like an 80-20. 
percent chance that <laughs> I see. Very nice. That's, well, that's true, though. It is a, it is a coin flip. It, it is, is a coin true. flip, whether we're it related. Well, I do want to just say, though, you know, a big shout out to you guys. You have a big milestone coming up. Uh, episode number 100. Um, as a poker player, you're trained to look at things logically, objectively. So I have to ask, does this magic number 100 mean something special to you or just happens to be the episode after number 99? Uh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's, <laughs> the whole thing's a con, Robbie. They're just all numbers. <laughs> However, there's marketing value in it. I was able to go to Unibet and go, 100th episode, guys, 100th episode. Give me loads of money and promotional money. Uh -huh. and we'll we put a tournament behind us. There's going to be a tournament with extra money given on the Unibet client that week. We're going to be doing massive amounts of giveaways. So that you're, you're right. It is just nonsense numbers, but it gave me the leverage I needed to just go into the Unibet piggy bank and steal as much value for you as I could. So it's useful. It's useful. Brilliant. Can you can you give us an inkling? When is this going to premiere and be like, a, you know, who your guests may be or what sort of segments you might have a little bit of a, of a, a leaky lap and reveal here? Yeah, I'd be delighted. I think the show's going to go April 19th. OK. Um, it's going to be uh, featuring. It's called, we, we thought we'd we'd give a few sort of lesser well-known people a go for this one just because we thought, well, we'll get the extra attention for the hundredth show. So we don't really need to go with star power. We'll, we'll try and throw these lads a bone. Uh, some lad called uh, Doug, Douglas Pol Polk, Douglas uh -huh. Polk uh -huh. and a guy called Jason Kuan. 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 I think that's how it would be spelt in uh, pronouncing the Irish. Sure. Jason Kuan. And actually, we do have a great Irish guest, uh, Annette O'Carroll, who's one of my favorite people in poker. Mm -hmm. She's going to be on the show, reminding everybody where we came from and our roots. Brilliant. Um, and then, you know, there's going to be so many voices on this show because we actually have a segment in mind where we're going to be bringing 10 or 12 people on to ask us questions and talk about poker. So um, in reality, the guest list is 15 people. Wow. It's going to be great, Robbie. I'm you might down. even be there. You might even be invited. This is news. I like it. Very good. You guys heard it first here on Cards Chat. Uh, and that comes, that's the end of my questions. But of course, this is now the part of the show where we turn to you guys, the Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We do have a, a dedicated thread for it on the Cards Chat forum. So as we announce who our future guests are going to be, that's your opportunity to submit your questions. Uh, our first uh, forum member is... Chavis, C-H-A-V-I-I-I-S. Chavis, uh, thank you very much for putting this one forward to David. Um, can you tell us, David, your opinion about the evolution in poker? Where do you think it's going and what could be the future for online poker? That's a super question, Chavis. That's actually a better question than any of the questions Robbie asked me for the last <laughs> hour. Uh, so maybe you should be doing his job. Uh, Chavis, that's it genuinely is a great question. So poker has sort of come out of the Texas road gambling paradigm and gently through maybe the 70s and 80s and 90s moved into the sort of more modern era where I guess players started sharing information, maybe, you know, having conversations more about the hands they were playing. You sort of saw that happen. Doyle even revealed 
uh, a lot with his book Super System. I guess that sort of started the ball rolling for some um, book content. You've got Harrington and all that good stuff from back in the day too. So we were sort of in a book learning phase then. I think anyone who took up the game in the 90s or 2000s could lean into that. They could read up, they could get the basics down really quickly or they could read those kind of books and get a few tips from the top pros of the day. Obviously, we moved from there into the video paradigm, I guess, as soon as technology allowed it. Now you've got guys making training videos, you've got guys recording their hands. That sort of simplifies the whole process, speeds things up. Obviously, internet poker is blowing up at the time. So you've got everything moving in hyperspeed, people playing millions of hands per year instead of a million hands in a career, which is probably what Doyle did. And, uh, you know, that's pushing everything on. Software is creeping in now. You're into the next, you know, maybe paradigm with some software and technology. You've got, you know, a whole resources calculator. You've got these kind of tools which are helping everyone. And I think that's very much been uh, what pokers look like at the top level for the top online guys and top live guys, really, for the last maybe seven or eight years, probably post 2009, 10. And then now in the last three, four years, you very slowly but very um, consistently entered the solver paradigm. And I think that's where we're going to be stuck for quite a while. Hmm. Um, I think you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, very much the, the game changer, the biggest moment maybe for all of poker is now how to get good at poker is actually how to run these solves, input the data correctly, and then absorb and create heuristics from the output, which is really, really important to sharpening up your own mind, understanding bet sizes, understanding frequencies, understanding the board textures at a level never before understood and only being able to be understood, frankly, now because of the help of these software tools and the power of these computers. These are essentially supercomputers. Now, we all have you know, phones that have more technology than got the first man to the moon. So yeah. just imagine what your laptop's capable. Now imagine what a five grand computer is capable of doing. And a lot of the top players have these supercomputers. They've got the programs running 24-7 sims, working out ranges, working out the lines, working out the game tree of different tricky hands. And then they're looking at that output. This is something that Dominic did, and he was a very early adapter to, we talked about DTO earlier on. This is what that, this is essentially the, the, the way he saw the future and the journey he took himself on and is now bringing all of us on in a sense as well is understanding how you can improve as a player by uh, interacting essentially with the machine in a way that, you know, is just so much more concise, so much more accurate than, you know, anything we could have done when we were essentially asking the best player we knew, what's your opinion on something? Right. Um, not that that has no value anymore. There's sure. always a human component to things, but we're very much moving into that paradigm now. I hope that answers your question. That's an excellent, comprehensive answer to clearly the best question that's been asked thus far. <laughs> uh, well, well, well played, David. I have to say. Um, Crystal's our next uh, forum contributor here. Thank you very much for submitting a, a trio of questions here. Uh, David, you wear a lot of hats these days. What is the one thing that you do today, play poker, host a podcast, write strategy articles, Unibet ambassador, that you could see yourself doing longer than the others? Oh, another very good question. Thank you, Crystal, for that. Um, I do wonder about the chip race. I, I described it as my baby earlier on. I have a great affection for it. It is the kind of material that really gets me excited. And I have to say, it is the thing I, I, I care most about probably right now. But 
Dara and I are always talking about this is that like we we kind of want to go out on top or we kind of want to like know when it's our time to end that show. That mm. might be in 20 episodes time. It could be in 120 episodes time. I really don't know. But we definitely don't want to reach a point where either we're phoning it in, the content or the format is a bit labored, maybe a bit tired as a structure um, and, and maybe just ceases to be as relevant anymore within the poker media landscape. So mm. we won't do that. Um, until we've like you know beaten the dead horse, and um, that's that's a promise. But at the same time, I'm still really pumped about like the next group of interviews I've got lined up for next week, and how good those shows are going to be. And then looking into sort of the the post hundredth episode stuff, and right. you know piecing together new series again. So m- my enthusiasm hasn't waned yet, but we're always conscious of of that moment. I suppose playing is the is the actual answer to your question i can't imagine a time where i won't both want to play and love the game of poker it's just a question of whether i love the game of poker enough to play full-time grinding mtts mass multi-tabling online and then traveling the world when we're allowed to do that again um i will always play poker i'll always be a poker player i will always love poker and i will be you know tremendously grateful for what it's given me in life but I, um, but yeah, whether that's at a professional level, I don't know. Sure. Well, David, we talked uh, a lot about Unibet poker and on the online offerings. Um, this is something that, you know, people in Europe, obviously, and, you know, many other parts of the world have been aware of for quite a while. It's been available to them, but that's, uh, you know, exactly why I love this next question by Crystals. Uh, Unibet does not have a large footprint on the other side of the pond as other sites. Do you see that changing over the next several years? Yeah, I do think that will change. Uh, We're obviously in Canada, but we're not in South America. We're not in Central America and we're not in the US. Now, our parent company, Kindred, who own Unibet, have managed to get a license in one or two of the states in America, which I guess is the piecemeal way in which it seems like American poker is coming back. American gambling is coming back in that way, too. So I guess if we got a foothold in, let's say, New Jersey, and that was to prove something that we could maybe get one of the licenses for America. I, I'm mm-hmm. speculating now. This is way above my pay grade now, but like, just go with me here or kind of like, don't, don't feel like I'm getting too big for my boots. I know this won't be my decision. But if we managed to do that, you know, a Unibet Open New Jersey wouldn't, you know, Atlantic City wouldn't be kind of a, a wild thought. Nice. Um, and, and, and I feel as though, you know, we've been arguably the squeakiest clean operator and, and that's not to suggest that the industry is like filthy dirty or anything like it. But, you know, there are rules that, and there are ways in which you can interpret laws across all the different countries, regulations across all different Like Europe is a total fucking head fuck these days when it comes to all the different countries having their own set of ways you have to do things. So it's a real challenge for operators to both operate effectively, stay inside the laws interpret some of the regulations maybe to their benefit or maybe not to their benefit, even though they could potentially interpret them more favorably to themselves, but they're afraid of fines and damaging their brand's reputation. So clarity on that stuff would be great. And I suppose if America just opened back up to poker and started giving out poker licenses again, then I think we'd be in a great spot because we have such a clean reputation. And I and I imagine that could be a few years into the future where you would see Unibet grow exponentially. We're obviously growing hugely from the point seven years ago where we joined with the relax actually we're about to come up to our seventh birthday on that one 
we were part of a network. We then went standalone. And now seven years on, I think we're like hundreds of percents bigger than we were at the start. And uh, and just off the back of uh, a very, very strong 2020. So I could see that happening. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a more middle term goal. But I, I think we could do that. I would love to see us get into America. Obviously, that's the you know place every site wants to be. Uh, sure, but also sure. get into Mexico, get into Brazil, all that good stuff too. Well, fingers crossed for continued growth uh, on that front. Uh, Crystal's last question here is uh, the next big. Crystal, you're carrying this. You're carrying this forum, Crystal. I'm starting to suspect that nobody actually asked me any questions, and this is. Crystal Straczynski came in here and started like writing extra questions just to make me feel more important and, and less forgotten about. Well, those who've listened to our previous 27 episodes know that Crystal's has been a very frequent and active contributor. Okay, good. okay, so, okay. So, so thank you very much for that. Um, the next big accomplishment playing poker you want to achieve is? Hmm. Like, like realistic goals or like a, a sort of a dream. Like I, I would love to win a Unibet Open or an Irish Open. They'd be the top of my list. Obviously, well, the World Series main event or a bracelet would be right there at the top two. Um, so they're sort of the three big ones. I guess to win one of those, like a bracelet, a Unibet Open or an Irish Open would be one of them. I'm not even being greedy. I just want one. One in the next 10 years, please. Okay. So David has used his one time. Okay. Well, let's, hope, let's make that happen. Um, and our last uh, forum member contributing a couple of questions, Acid Burn FX. Thank you very much. You've got a, a duo of questions here. What is the best and the worst thing, David, that you've ever done for someone and why? Jesus, you need to warn me about a question like this. What's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever done to somebody? And the best thing. Um, don't th- I don't think either. <laughs> I don't think either of these questions are answerable on air. Um, w- one because I was so bad, and one because I was so good. I would hate it to ruin my image as a ah. bad boy. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, allowed, no, I don't you're know. allowed one pass. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to pass on this one because I, uh, I, I think my only choices here are to seem like a terrible person and to seem braggadocious okay <laughs> we'll give Just you a pass. as an ambassador i think you have to learn how to fade questions like this there this you is, go this is the way careers end <laughs> we'll, we'll give david a walk in the big blind so the final Thank question you. for you uh also from acid burn fx if the genie of the lamp granted you a request with a duration of only 24 hours what would you ask for um well, that's a nice question. Okay, well, I'll go to a personal thing on this one. So for the last several years, um, my girlfriend Sharon and I have been trying to adopt. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's a complicated enough process here in Malta. You know, there's many steps you go through to do it. And that's something we've been embarking upon for a while now. And we were accepted, so we're on the program. But COVID is, of course, complicating things. So what should be already a sort of a year and a half to two years type of thing Mm. is in danger of being even longer. Wow. Now, Sharon and I would love to welcome another child into our home tomorrow if we could. So I guess that would be what I would do. I would snap my fingers Mm. and 
you know, that process would somehow only take a day rather than a couple more years. That's an absolutely beautiful, very touching and heartwarming answer. And I do hope that that process uh, is as smooth and as short and as easy as possible for you guys. Um, thanks to everyone who sent in questions for David Lappin. And of course, just a friendly reminder to our Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Uh, David, I know I've told you this before. I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but you've certainly kissed that Blarney stone and you've got the gift of gab. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? No, other than it's been lovely to to spend some time with you. Dara O'Carney has, I know, done quite a bit with the Cards Chat community down the years and speaks about them uh, in such high esteem. So I'm glad to have uh, at least got in the mix a little bit here now, um, introduced myself via this show and, and maybe will contribute more in the future. And as usual, Robbie, like you're you're a man who knows his craft. I, I have a great bugbear in life uh, where when I listen to shows, I, and, and look, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of great podcasters out there in the poker space. And uh, this isn't a, a very last moment shot, parting shot at their expense. But one bugbear I have is people who aren't prepared. It's very obvious when you sit down to listen to a show that people are kind of winging it. And, uh, and uh, you know, a certain amount of going off on tangents and a certain amount of uh, allowing the conversation to sort of go in its own directions is great. And I welcome that. But it's really obvious when somebody clearly just hasn't sort of done their homework. And I always do my homework, I'll be honest. And I know you are a man who always does yours. So thank you for being so prepared and having such a great bunch of questions for me and a, and a well thought through interview. It's very kind of you to say. Thank you very much, David. Um, thanks to all of you for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife, and I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.